Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. And uh, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here. And welcome to all of you joining us online today. Really glad you can be with us as well. And uh, as you saw, we are back in the New Testament book of Acts. We've been uh, in and out of Acts now for uh, about a year and a half. And it's going to take us in and out uh, through into the summer before we finally wrap it up over the course of about two years. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. The, maybe you've heard of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they really all tell the story of Jesus' life and of his ministry, encompassing about 30 to 35 years. Well, then Acts is what happens in the next 30 to 35 years. And so Jesus uh, dies on the cross for our sin. He's buried. He rises to new life. He ascends to be with the Father. And before he ascends, he leaves some instructions for his disciples, for those who believed in him. And he told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the verse you just heard, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Do you know the rest of it? In Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, that verse, really, uh, if you want to know, like, what's the story of Acts? That's the story, verse 8 of chapter 1. Because he starts off, he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, zoomed in on Jerusalem for you there. Uh, it starts off in Jerusalem, and the first few chapters of Acts all happen in Jerusalem. And then uh, after that, uh, the gospel begins to spread out to Judea, to the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. And that's the next couple chapters in Acts. And then from there, it starts to spread beyond there to Samaria, the next couple chapters. And then all of a sudden, you get uh, into Paul's ministry, you get about halfway through the book of Acts, not quite, and the gospel starts spreading to the ends of the earth. And that's really the story of the book of Acts. And we're about two-thirds of the way through the story. And it all began down here in Jerusalem. Here's a modern-day map. So here's Israel and Jerusalem, and then uh, Syria and modern-day Turkey, Greece over there. Rome is just off the screen in Italy. And the gospel begins there in Jerusalem. And uh, about chapter 9, a guy by the name of Saul, who was persecuting all the Christians, is on his way to Damascus, up to Syria, and uh, Jesus reveals himself to him, knocks him down on the ground, and Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. And then he becomes kind of a central figure in the book of Acts uh, after about uh, the next couple chapters. 
And, and Paul, he changes his name to Paul. Paul is just the Greek version of his Hebrew name, Saul. Uh, he, he sets up, ends up in a, a little town called Antioch, which is right in here. And the church begins there. And then uh, Saul goes out, Paul goes out with uh, some friends of his and he begins planting churches. And he sails to this island of Cyprus and they make it around and they go up into what is modern day Turkey and they plant some churches. They get to about right in here somewhere. And then they go back back around and sail all the way back to Antioch. That's his first church planting journey. Some people call it his, maybe you've heard it referred to uh, in the church as his missionary journey. Well, he has three of them. I, I like to call them church planting journeys because that's really what he does is he starts planting churches. Right before we started our Christmas series, right after Thanksgiving, we wrapped up Paul's second church planting journey. And in this second journey, he again starts in Antioch. And this time, though, he takes off from Antioch and works his way across uh, modern-day Turkey and visits some of the churches he had previously planted. And he picks up a guy named Timothy, and he gets to Troas, picks up a guy named Luke, who's a doctor. And uh, from Troas, they set sail and cross the Aegean Sea. And uh, they, they take off across the Aegean Sea to uh, Philippi, where they plant another church. But as Paul begins planting churches, opposition starts to happen. Uh, his life even gets threatened. It sounds a little echoey to me. I'm not sure if you guys are hearing that. His life even gets threatened to where he leaves from, from Philippi and goes down to Thessalonica. The same thing happens only even worse. And so then he leaves Thessalonica and he goes to Berea. But in Berea, uh, it gets, they, they follow him there and so they send him out and he sails down to Athens and eventually alone in Athens, he takes off to the west to Corinth where he waits for his friend Silas to come. And then uh, we wrapped up our time in Acts 18 a few weeks ago with Paul leaving and going back to finish up his journey. He first goes through Ephesus and then eventually sails down and makes his way down to Caesarea, goes up to Jerusalem and back to Antioch, wrapping up his second round-trip journey. He's been on two of them so far. And I share all that with you because maybe you're new and you don't know all those stories. That's okay, now you've got some context where we're starting at. But also to remind you, because some of the people that we met previously are going to show up again today. And some of the places, too. In fact, today we're going to be in the city of Ephesus, and uh, we're going to hear about Corinth a little bit as well. But really, for the next uh, three, four weeks, we're going to be in the city of Ephesus, which was an important city in the Roman Empire in that day. So uh, you feel good now about going forward? I got you uh, caught up to speed. So let me pray, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in. We're going to be in Acts chapter 18, towards the end of that chapter, if you want to get ready, and into 19 today. So let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And uh, Lord, thanks for your grace to us through him, <clears throat> for your word, where we can uh, know how the church began, where we can see Jesus working and the spirit working in powerful ways. And we can have confidence that uh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he continues to do the same things in and through us as we're sent to be your witnesses. Help me as I teach your word, Holy Spirit. Uh, help us understand the things you've written. Apply it to our lives that we could be changed and more like Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, 
the passage today is actually kind of fitting because, uh, well, let me just ask you this first. Do you have any New Year's plans, New Year's resolutions? Did you make any this year? I saw one uh, online the other day. Uh, Somebody said, hey, what's your New Year's resolution for the gym? What are you going to do in the gym this year? And one person wrote, "Uh, my resolution is just to go. (laughs) I thought, that's a pretty good one. Just get going. Maybe, though, you're already into the new year a week and you feel like, man, this isn't much different than than last year. You're kind of like Lucy uh, in Peanuts comic strip. It was only three days in, and she goes, I hate this year. Everybody said things would be better, but they're not. I don't think this is a new year at all. I think we've been stuck with a used year. (laughs) Like a used car. You know, but it is good to, uh, the, the great thing about the new year is it gives you an opportunity to really think about what are some of the patterns in my life? What are some things that might be able to change? And uh, my hope for you this year and for our church is that one of those might be that we would keep growing, that we would keep seeking to grow, to grow in our knowledge of Jesus, to grow in seeing more people come to faith in Christ. I wonder, if you don't have a resolution, let me just give you that one, that you'd continue to keep seeking to grow. Kind of like this guy, maybe, Pablo Cazals. Have you ever heard of him? He's one of the most famous cellists to ever live. And uh, Yo-Yo Ma actually references him. And and Pablo uh, lived to be, I'm not, well, I guess I got it up there, 98, 97, if I could do math. When he was like 95, he was practicing like six hours a day on his cello and somebody asked him, Pablo, the clock's ticking, man. You're 95. Why do you keep practicing the cello for six hours a day? And he's like, well, I, because I think I'm making some progress. <laughs> I thought, you know, that's a pretty good attitude. And for you and I, as we follow Christ, we keep seeking to grow because even until our very last breath, there's the opportunity to keep making some progress, isn't there? In knowing Christ and being more like him. Well, we've got a great example of someone like that in our text this morning. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 18, if you're not there yet. And we're going to start in verse 24, and we're going to meet someone new today. A guy by the name of Apollos. This isn't Apollos Creed from Rocky, in case you're wondering. Uh, but this Apollos is pretty impressive. And now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Do you know where Alexandria is? On that map I showed earlier, you know, you saw the Mediterranean Sea. Alexandria is in Egypt. It's right on the Nile River Delta. And Alexandria was the second most important city in all of the Roman Empire. It's named after Alexander the Great, who got everything going. And there was an incredible number of Jews who lived in Alexandria. Philo um, uh, wrote this, maybe you've heard heard of him before, but he wrote uh, that he believed the total population of Jews in Egypt in that day was about uh, over a million Jews in Alexandria, making it then the most populous Jewish city in the world in that time. In fact, you know, uh, many scholars believe that when uh, Mary and Joseph fled Bethlehem with baby Jesus because Herod wanted to kill all the little boys in Luke chapter two, and they they flee to Egypt, that uh, they went to Alexandria. 
because of the big Jewish population there and they could kind of blend in with the crowd. And it's also believed by many that Jesus spent many of his formative years in Alexandria. And uh, while he's there, it's likely too that he got some education and, and learned things and learned things about God's word even as a young boy before moving back to Nazareth. So Alexandria is an important city, even though it's only mentioned a couple times in the Bible. Well, this guy, uh, Apollos, is from Alexandria. Alexandria was also, I didn't mention this, kind of a university town. It was a center of of thought. And uh, there were um, some, some big schools and universities there and So it's no wonder then what we read about Apollos, that he was a native of Alexandria when he he came to Ephesus, that he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had studied it. He knew it. He probably learned the Old Testament from the time that he was a little boy and learned all kinds of things about God growing up. Now, we don't know why he came to Ephesus. Likely, he's a merchant of some sort. Ephesus was a big trade center. But, but he gets there, and we just read that about him. He was eloquent and competent in the scriptures. And, but not only this, Luke tells us he had also been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, whenever Luke says something like this, he's always referring to someone who's put their faith in Christ, that he's a follower of the Lord Jesus, uh, and it's backed up by what's written after this. Being fervent in spirit, I, I kind of think that spirit there ought to be capitalized, that he was uh, full of the spirit. And because of what's next, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Now, some people wonder, did, did he really, was he really a believer? And I think, uh, we don't have time to bore you with that, but based on some of the language, I think, yeah, he was a believer, and that's what Luke's telling us here. But even as a believer in Jesus, he still had things to learn, because look at the very next line. He only knew, though, of the baptism of John. You gotta remember, these are early days of Christianity. That's what the whole book of Acts is about, right? How everything gets going. And so it makes sense that as people are growing and learning, people in different parts of the world, uh, it's not like they could text one another all the different stories, He had only heard of John's baptism, but didn't understand uh, Christian baptism yet. And uh, the the, the symbolism there of following Christ and his command to be baptized. So uh, Apollos, he's he's teaching boldly uh, and eloquently. And then we get to verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila, you remember them? They showed up over in Corinth. And Priscilla and Aquila, they were Jews from Rome who got kicked out of Rome, ended up in Corinth uh, when all the Jews were kicked out. And they were tent makers. They worked with leather and uh, different things like that. And uh, eventually they come to Ephesus with Paul when he's leaving on his way back to Jerusalem. But they stay in Ephesus and so they're in the church there where in the synagogue when when, uh, Apollos gets up and starts speaking. And they recognize, you know, this guy is really smart. Man, he knows a lot about Jesus. Yeah, but that one thing, he wasn't right about that, was he? And so they take him, they bring him, I think, into their home, took him aside, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now I think, this is Josh's opinion, I think Apollos' doctrine was really good. He taught and uh, 
explained the things of Jesus accurately. He was orthodox. But his practice, he wasn't, he didn't have orthopraxy. He didn't quite understand the practice of what Christian baptism means. So, so they explained to him the way of God, how to live that out in a more uh, accurate way. It's, it's discipleship. But Apollo showed growth, which is pretty remarkable for a guy uh, of what this has said. Even though he knew a lot about Jesus, he learned more. Do you want your life to be like that? Shaped by one where you keep growing? Man, I hope mine is. I hope I continue to grow throughout my whole life in knowing Jesus. You know, I I joke sometimes that Moses, for example, never really did anything till he was 80. (laughs) That's when he uh, goes and leads the people out of the out of Egypt into the promised land. I hope, however many years God gives me, it's, it's years of continuing to grow, to know more of Jesus, to know more about Jesus, and to become more like Jesus. And that doesn't happen overnight. That happens day to day, week to week, year to year. And maybe this year would be a year, by God's grace, where we would all grow in knowing Jesus more. You know, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, He said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. Our English translation, I've told you before, glosses over that word. It really means dog dung. He's like, everything compared to knowing Jesus is a steaming pile. It's exactly what he says. Knowing Jesus was of such worth. He goes on, he goes, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, share in his sufferings. Friends, the whole point of life is to know Jesus Christ. In fact, that's really a big part of my job, right, as a pastor. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the places that we're reading about now, that church there, Paul writes this to them later, And he says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The whole point was to know Jesus more. Hebrews tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us, and some, by the way, believe that Apollos is the guy who wrote Hebrews, because we're not clear on who it was, but tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Like he's the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. To know Jesus is to know God. And when Jesus was praying in the garden, he said this is eternal life because he wanted us to have true and real life, eternal life. And this is what it is, that they may know you, the only true God, and, and to know Jesus whom you've sent. That's the point of life. And that's where true life is, is in knowing Jesus. Will this year be a year of you knowing Jesus more? Not about him. I mean, I hope you know about him more too, but, but actually knowing him as a friend, as a savior, someone who loves you more than you could ever dream of being loved. You know, Apollos was a guy who kept growing in this way. And one of the ways he kept growing was because he was willing to receive from other people. 
He was willing to receive from others. It would have been really easy for Apollos, a guy who clearly had pretty good knowledge, pretty eloquent speaker, when Priscilla and Aquila are like, hey, can we help you understand this more? He could have been like, oh, what are you going to teach me? And just brushed him off. But he doesn't. He received from them. And he grew. He continued to grow. See, that's what we read. They, they heard him, and so they took him aside, again, I said, likely into their home, and just explained to him things more accurately. And evidently, the way that they did that, also, by the way, so if you're going to try to help somebody, uh, truth and grace, right? So evidently, they did it in a gracious way that was helpful to him. And Apollos, uh, it reminds me a little bit of, of uh, Proverbs chapter 9, where we read, give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he'll increase in learning. That describes Apollos. It, it totally describes him. He, he continued to seek to grow in knowing Jesus and being willing to receive instruction and help in that from other people. Man, I want to be like Apollos. And in, in seeking to grow, he also sought to share the good news. You know, this is a hope of mine for all of us and for me that this year, more and more, God would give us opportunities to have gospel conversations with people where we're pointing them to Jesus, where Jesus is the hero of the story. Now, that doesn't mean every time you talk to somebody, you're like sharing the four spiritual laws and you're drawing out the little bridge illustration or the three circles or whatever. It just means when, uh, when you're at work this week and somebody uh, compliments you on something or asks about your holiday or whatever else, and when something goes good, you can just say, yeah, Jesus has been really good to me. That counts, because you're making Jesus the hero of the story, and you're planting a seed for them to go, I don't hear people talk like that very often. That's strange. And they start watching, and then it opens the door to other conversation. And sometimes it is, opening your mouth to share the gospel when it's time, but to plant and to water and let God do the work. You know, um, we're going to try to help you more and more with this uh, in only a few weeks' time. You know, our, our vision for our church, by the year 2030, we want to engage in 10,000 gospel conversations with people talking about Jesus. And I think we're well on our way. I hear from you over and over and over about, hey, does Josh, does this count as a gospel conversation? What about this? The fact that you're thinking about it tells me that God's working and you're being intentional. And we want to help you be more intentional in that. And uh, one of the ways we're going to do that uh, is right after uh, the Super Bowl in February. Have you ever seen any of these ads on TV, He Gets Us? Uh, some, some of them are kind of provocative. Some of them are kind of heartwarming. But it's a campaign funded by uh, some pretty wealthy followers of Jesus and their goal in it, and they state this on their website, they're like, we've got an agenda. Their goal is to get people to examine who really is Jesus. Who is this Jesus of the Bible, really? Not what have I been told about him, not all the things I might think or hear, but who is he? 
And so we start to see, especially in his incarnation, we see his, his humanity, that at Christmas he was God who put on flesh and became like us so that we can become like him. And he can relate to us in every way. And so uh, the week after the Super Bowl, starting on February 18, uh, we're gonna start, we're gonna take a break from Acts for a few weeks up until Easter, and then we'll come back to Acts but we're going to take a break to look at who is Jesus, and we're going to use uh, some of this branding of, of he gets us. We're even going to have a devotional for you to use, and maybe even if you wanted to start a group or a study with a friend. But uh, that time together, here's, here's our topics we're going to look at and the dates we're going to look at them. Uh, we're going to see that Jesus, he, he gets our insecurity. Know anybody with insecurity? You're like, yeah, I see him in the mirror every morning. <laughs> How about uh, exhaustion? Anxiety. Jesus gets our anxiety. He does. He was so anxious on the night when he was betrayed before he went to the cross. It, he even gets our guilt. Jesus never sinned. He had nothing to be guilty of, but all of our guilt was heaped on him on the cross. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. So he knows what it's like to feel guilty. He knows what it's like to experience shame. He knows what grief is like. He saw his friend Lazarus die. He knows what dissatisfaction with life is like when things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. So uh, I'm telling you now so that you can start thinking and praying and you could be like Apollos and not only seek just to grow to know Jesus, but seek to share the good news with others. So uh, there's a few of these floating around. A few that are left. There'll be more next week. But they're just some little cards that have those topics and dates on them. They're floating around in the commons. And if you want, you could grab one and maybe just start praying and thinking, who's a friend of mine, uh, somebody I love, somebody I work with, whoever, that I know, man, this year has just been a year of grief. Or right now, they've, they've been telling me about their anxiety. And it's just an opportunity, maybe in those conversations, to say, hey, why don't you, do you know we're going to talk about that at church? And invite them to come. Also, I wanted to let you know, too, on the, at the, on the Super Bowl, the, the one thing everybody watches is what? The ads, right? Like, that's when, in our house anyway, that's when it gets quiet, <laughs> is when the ads come on. And did you notice there were a couple of these ads last year? And there's, I know there's going to be at least one, I think a couple more this year in the Super Bowl. And uh, not asking you to be weird, but it might give you an opportunity when that comes on. Because I remember when we saw it, we said, oh, wow, we weren't expecting that. But just to say to your friend or to somebody, if there's a comment made about, you know, we're actually going to be talking about some of those same things at church over the next few weeks. You're welcome to come. And you can just leave it at that. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to be over the top. Just invite him as a friend because you care about him. And so uh, if that's a helpful reminder for you, you can take that with you or even give it to somebody and there'll be more and more of these floating around in the comments and uh, you won't be able to avoid them in the weeks ahead, I don't think. But we're looking forward to that and I just wanted to kind of prime the pump and uh, let you know about it. Because uh, we want to keep seeking to grow and... We also uh, want to share the good news of Jesus. Well, Apollos kept seeking to grow. And in his time in Ephesus, there came a time where 
uh, he's like, okay, I think maybe my time's done here. I'd really like to go on to Corinth. Uh, or that region of Corinth was called uh, Achaia. And uh, eventually he does. In uh, verse 27, he, he heads over there. And what he does is he starts off sharing the good news, not just with random people, but with other believers. Does that seem weird to you? To share the good news with each other, to remind each other of the truth of the gospel? I hope it doesn't. Because that's an encouragement. Don't forget the gospel. Preach it to yourself, too, and to one another. See, uh, he, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. Again, he received from others. They encouraged him. And they wrote to the disciples to welcome him over in Corinth. I'm guessing Priscilla and Aquila were a big part of this because they knew some of the believers over in Corinth. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. His ministry began with people who knew Jesus. He was sharing the good news with them. But he doesn't stop there. You notice if we kept reading, he also shared it with those who are far from God, who are far from God and don't know him. Because he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. You know, um, we've already looked at Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, but what we never really mentioned during that time was the influence of Apollos in Corinth after Paul left. And Apollos shows up in the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians pretty prominently. In fact, Paul developed over time such a high regard for Apollos, which tells me, by the way, that Apollos kept growing. He kept maturing. He surely had setbacks. Surely had sin that he had to deal with. But he kept moving forward. Uh, in fact, so much so that uh, when Paul mentions him in 1 Corinthians 1, he puts him in the same sentence and mentions him on par with himself, the apostle Peter, and Jesus. Look at this, verse one, or verse 12 of chapter one. What I mean is that each one of you, he's addressing some issues there, uh, of they were kind of picking sides between teachers. It's like, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, or I follow Jesus. Paul had a really high regard for Apollos to, to recognize him as that influential in the church there. And Apollos' eloquent speaking skills surely made him attractive to the people in Achaia, which is the region of Corinth, a place where rhetoric was highly valued. And Paul would write this about Apollos later in his letter, a couple chapters later. He goes, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. See, uh, Apollos spoke eloquently and with power, but Paul gives us a clue here that Apollos' power in teaching and preaching and having influence wasn't just in himself. It really wasn't in himself at all. It was in God's word. And he didn't go beyond what was written. He didn't add to it. He didn't take away from it. God wrote it all down, and Apollos knew it. And, and he taught God's word. He was a powerful teacher, in part to his skill, but primarily due to the fact that he taught God's word and God's word alone. So keep seeking to grow. Keep seeking to share 
the good news. And as you do, though, know that God has to work for growth to happen. God has to be the one to work for growth to happen. So as you seek to know Jesus more and you seek to keep growing, you, you gotta recognize God is the one who has to do that work. Well, let me show you uh, the next story just briefly because we're gonna be in Acts chapter 19 over the next few weeks. But let me introduce the first part of Acts 19 this morning before we wrap up. Uh, we already mentioned that Apollos left Ephesus and he goes over to Corinth well, Paul is in Antioch. Remember, he had completed that first loop, or that second loop, I guess, his second journey. And now we read in uh, chapter 19, verse 1, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So Paul takes off and he goes through Turkey and he comes to Ephesus after Apollos was in Corinth. And when he gets there, he found some disciples. Now, Luke tells us they're disciples, but he doesn't tell us what kind of disciples or disciples of who. He uses this term for followers of Jesus, but he also uses it for guys who are followers of John and, and others. And so Paul says to them, hey, did, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Now, um, from Luke's point of view, as he writes in the book of Luke and in Acts, becoming a Christian meant that you received the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's true. That's the truth of the gospel. That when you become a follower of Jesus, he sends a helper to be with you, the Spirit, who comes to live and indwell within you and help you live out your new identity. Well, Paul's curious what's going on here then. And he goes, uh, well, then into what were you baptized? By the way, when they say that, um, that they didn't know there even was a Holy Spirit, again, back to Luke's point that having the Holy Spirit is, is essential to being a Christian, them not even knowing about the Holy Spirit kind of gives us a clue. They're probably not believers yet in Jesus. So then Paul asked, well, what have you been baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. Remember, Apollos, he knew a lot about John's baptism, but not about being baptized as a follower of Jesus, did he? But we also know about Apollos, that he clearly taught the things concerning Jesus, that he was fervent in spirit, that the Holy Spirit worked through him. Do you know what this tells me? It tells me that until God opens someone's eyes, until God opens our own eyes, we never really grow. He has to do the work of changing us that only he can do. And so these guys who likely sat under Apollos' teaching, I would imagine, at least heard of him, they may have heard him teach about Jesus and teach about all these things and be like, oh yeah, but it never really clicked in their heart. You know, it tells me that uh, you can spend your entire lifetime in church, going through all the motions, doing all the churchy things, even have your funeral in the church, but spend eternity in hell if you're not in Christ. Christ. 
Because doing all those things doesn't do anything for you. Those things should be a response of, of you knowing Christ. Eternal life is this, that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. So uh, Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance and his baptism was all about telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Did you know that? Like John's whole point of getting baptized was so that you would look to Jesus and put your faith in him and know him. He was trying to point you to him so you'd know him. And then it clicked for them. God opened their eyes. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then we read, uh, Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. We don't have time to talk about all of that, but uh, this was a sign in the early church to, to show the legitimacy of the gospel among different groups of people. Now, do I think the gift of tongues still happens today? I, I tend to think it probably does. Um, I don't see evidence that it quit. Uh, but there's some clear parameters for how it's to be exercised. And not everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus ends up speaking in tongues. Um, and that's even clear in the book of Acts. Not everyone does. Uh, but this was a sign, I think, probably to Paul saying, these guys get it now. Now they get it. And God is at work here in the same way he's been at work everywhere else the Spirit is. And we read there were about 12 of them well, after this, uh, we read that uh, this is kind of a summary of some of the things that are going to happen. Uh, Paul entered the synagogue for three months. He spoke boldly, reasoning, persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You know, uh, Paul ends up uh, being in Ephesus then for about three years. And uh, we're gonna look at some of the crazy things that happened there through his ministry in the weeks ahead and um, eventually wrap up with the letter he writes back to them. But this morning, uh, I'll leave you back again with this thought. As you head into this new year, keep seeking to grow. Man, I want to be like Apollos, continuing to grow in knowing Jesus, in receiving and learning from others. I want to continue like Apollos in sharing the good news, having opportunity to, to have conversations with people about what it is that Jesus is doing in my life. And then all the while, I got to remember, if I'm really going to grow, and if those conversations are going to have any fruit, I need to pray and ask God to do the work only he can do to cause growth. Because even Paul said to the church in Corinth, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. That's my prayer for you this year. Let me pray.